No, I'll do it. No, wait. No, you do, you do no, it. Wait, no. Oh. no. Somebody else okay. will do it. Let's do no, it. Let, let's, uh, Hutch will do it. Yeah. Hutch, <laughs> what's up? A little automation. <laughs> automation was supposed to take care of this for us. Sorry, there was a pop up on my end soon. <laughs> <laughs> technology, technology. Yes. Well, we're we're rolling here, so we were just I know. deciding who is going to start. And you know what? I think you should get started. But before <laughs> okay. we have to say what this is, what is this for? Is another episode of uh, what we call Chats on the Road to RSA Conference coverage, 2023. So we already had some really interesting conversation. And we're looking forward to actually be there and having conversation on uh, on location. And as we are having our own conversation, there's so many other talk happening there. So and many topics that uh, are, are obviously top of mind for a lot of people because RSA conference selected a bunch of them for people to speak about and discuss and, and get us to think. And we couldn't wait, or I couldn't wait anyway. I wanted to chat with Hutch. Hutch is doing a bunch of stuff on AI and uh, detection, protection, response, adversarial, ethics, uh, lots of good stuff there. And I wanted to chat with him before we got up to up to San Francisco. So folks knew what he was talking about and uh, would join him at his session. So Hutch, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me today. Really excited to be on. Yep, it's, it's super cool. And obviously we, we've already teased out what we're going to talk about here. And uh, AI didn't help us get started with this. Uh, we're still human and fumbled all over the place, which is cool. I like it. But um, speaking of humans, who is Hutch? <laughs> give, give our listeners a little uh, little taste of who you are and what you're up to and what makes you tick. Why, why the topic of AI? Certainly. So I've been in technology for about 20 years, information security for about 15 years. I have been playing with artificial intelligence and machine learning for about a decade now. Uh, admittedly, I actually got my start in artificial intelligence, not from the security side, but trying to crack the financial markets. And in that process, I learned a ton about machine learning and had very little success in actually making myself rich because I discovered that the markets are efficient enough that it is extremely difficult, even with proficient machine learning algorithms, to find those exploitable exposures. But in any case, uh, from there, I uh, very early on, I did a project that was using early versions of natural language processing. And this was almost a decade ago at TorCon San Diego. And in that presentation, I demonstrated how even with very simple and not very sophisticated natural language processing systems or chatbots as we often refer to them, uh, if you deploy them at scale in an automated fashion against a large number of people in order to achieve various different social engineering objectives, then even if you have less than 10% success, because the whole thing is automated and it's targeting a large number of people, you still are able to harvest a, a large amount of information. So obviously, in the recent past, we have seen a tremendous acceleration in machine learning and specifically generative AI in the area of natural language processing. And so one of my talks that I'm doing at RSA is, is going to be talking about how natural language processing and current large language models can be weaponized via the API and actually deployed as fully autonomous social engineering systems and also looking at ways in which organizations can potentially work to mitigate that risk. 
another topic that I'm actually going to be discussing at uh, a RSA birds of a feather session is going to be talking about the ethics around AI. And so this really gets to the point of in the past couple of years, as I mentioned, we've seen this tremendous acceleration in the speed and rate at which artificial intelligence is growing. And so uh, in the past, it was major milestones were measured in terms of decades. In the past decade, it's been major milestones measured maybe within years. And it seems like in the last six months or so, we are now major measuring major milestones in the progress of artificial intelligence in terms of months or even weeks. So we are seeing this rapid acceleration. We're also seeing because of the attention that's being given to these large language models, uh, a rapid interest in integrating the capabilities, specifically the, the ability to accelerate your workforce and your processes. So integrating those capabilities into business processes. And for me, I, I think there is a significant amount of potential, a, a ton of opportunity there to improve your organization's workflows. But at the same time, there is also a, a significant amount of risk that's introduced in that. And so what the ethics discussion is really getting at is two things. One, I think if we look at the two different, if, if we separate artificial intelligence development into two different epochs, so to speak, two different revolutions. Uh, we had the early one that was probably in the past decade or so, where we have seen the integration of really mostly classification models in order to determine from a marketing perspective, what interests you, what appeals to you specifically so that we can do targeted advertising towards you. And we've seen some of the same models determining kind of what appeals to you for the sake of presenting content to you in the, the TikTok or the Instagram model. And while I think there is uh, a lot that's very impressive about what that machine learning capability brought to those platforms, there also were very notable societal impacts to that. I mean, I, I look at my son and his entire generation, and he's, he's 13 years old, and he can't step away from his phone or be without his phone for five minutes without being bored out of his mind. And it was this artificial intelligence capability that created this instant gratification culture of, I, I need to constantly be entertained. I need to constantly consume more and more content. And I think this new generation of artificial intelligence, of our generative artificial intelligence, is just the next iteration of that because we've got uh, essentially uh, a capability where no longer do we need to go out and search for specific information that we want and dig through a lot of different article or articles online. You can literally ask a question and in seconds get that instant gratification, that exact answer to the question that you are asking. And so I, I think that from a societal perspective, we need to look at what are the potential long-term impacts to our society as a whole, from mental health, from also uh, topics that are more widely discussed, like the, the mental, health, uh, mental health problem, but also job displacement. Uh, the fact that this is potentially going to have impacts on either displacing or drastically changing the way in which people approach their jobs. And then I think there's also the question of business or ethics as well. So as a business executive, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders, regardless of whether your organization is private or publicly held. And so I think balancing that need to 
drive a successful business with also considering the societal impacts, the impacts to your workforce is a very hard problem to solve. And so that's why I've approached this as a, a birds of a feather session is because I, I certainly don't have all the answers to that. And I think I can help to highlight some of the problems around that, but I think that it will be extremely helpful to bring together a, a group of industry professionals who have strong opinions in these areas in order to have that collaborative session and better define uh, a best way forward. And with no, it's a chat and mouse rule. So with no media, you can actually have ethical, <laughs> meaningful conversations. <laughs> they won't let Marco and I into those sadly, but uh, don't have uh, those were the best. Those forward. were the best conversations. I, I could sneak in, but I won't. Now, uh, wow, you 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 gave a, an entire introduction that, in my opinion, is hours worth of conversation. So I'm going to try to to keep it very focused. First comment that I have is, of course, about ethics, because I talk a lot about it. And I don't think we'll ever come up with the final answers, but most definitely a lot of different answers that maybe all together we can kind of filter the extreme and keep it, keep it balanced. So I think that keeping that conversation going with experts that are also open to other people, conversation and opinion, it's extremely important. So good luck with that. Um, I'm going to go eventually in an observation, and I know that eventually Sean can get deeper into is where we are at with AI use for nefarious activity. I mean, you're, you're talking about quantity. Like, you know, we amplify the message eventually something's stuck, you know, and works. And so I feel like, you know, people are expecting a lot of quality from AI, but I, I'm feeling it more as a tool and more of an amplification. So is that your approach to, to this? And maybe marketing is pushing it too much to be also quality or am I misunderstanding? I think I agree with you in the and I think a lot of the problems around the perceptions of AI stem from the fact that a lot of people don't really understand how it works. They don't understand that it's essentially a, a predictive model that is attempting to identify the next token in a language sequence. And of course, you do those statistical calculations and you extrapolate those across billions of different parameters. And, and what comes out is very impressive. So I do think it is a very useful tool. I think uh, personally, I've used it in some of my R&D projects at Set Solutions for coding and for accelerating those processes. And I, I've seen multiple other applications that are very useful for it. Um, I think that it is going to have inherent limitations, though, based on just the way that it's designed. And I, I think that there's this perspective of uh, immediately on the horizon, we're going to, or in the very short term, we're going to hit something akin to artificial general intelligence or machines that are just as capable in all regards as humans. And I, I think instead, we have a, a model that is extremely capable in a very nuanced area. And I think that that will translate to uh, different capabilities, but I, I think that the expectations have been a, a bit skewed. So I think you're right. I, I think it is a tool. I think that there is some value in that tool, but I think like any tools, uh, we have to be aware of the risks to our organization. And I think to your point, there is a lot of adversarial uses, especially with as fast as this is moving. As the defenders, we also need to be moving just as quick to make sure that we have addressed the potential malicious use cases for this tool. 
uh, what uh, a, a couple different things that we've been able to accomplish with some of the research that we've done with these large language models is one thing that we've noticed is a lot of the limitations or restrictions that exist when you interact with the web interface are not there when you interact with the API. And so you can programmatically create a system and there are ways that you can actually inform it on its own identity or who it's going to pretend to be. It, the identity of who it's interacting with, the pretext of what it's trying to accomplish. And with all of those pieces together, you can deploy on any kind of text-based platform, whether that's SMS, email, Teams or Slack, uh, any of your social networks, you can deploy a fully interactive system that will engage in an ongoing conversation with a person, will build rapport in the same way that a human would with social interactions, and will exploit all of those social factors that adversaries in the past have exploited as social engineers. So it's, it's really terrifying what some of the capabilities are from the adversarial perspective. And Really, I think of nothing else, what my talk hopefully will do is, is shed some light on those capabilities and start getting organizations to think about what they can do in terms of defenses. I love it. I was, uh, I was on uh, doing a podcast with Tom Meston. He's the host of Shared Security Podcast. You may know him. And we got into chat GTP as, as pretty much every conversation seems to <laughs> these days. Yep. And to your point, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up and I want to take a minute here because we were talking about the web interface and yes, you can do, it has rest, uh, restrictions for what you can do, but it also has no barriers or controls for what you shouldn't be doing. Um, right, no, whereas, no hard controls. Right. So whereas if, if an organization were to leverage the API and you described it in the context of perhaps uh, customer service, so some chatbot supporting customers through social media or whatever and having that conversation uh, more through a web interface. Um, the, the company has some control over the API, like you're describing what it's a context, pretext, identities and personas and those types of things. But also, I presume, uh, what gets shared out uh, in and out uh, on each side, protecting customers from sharing passwords and and credit card information and other things like that, and also preventing the company from sharing IP and things like that. So it was an interesting conversation I had when I, I want some of your thoughts on how organizations should perhaps approach using it for internal use, external use with customers. And I don't know, I don't want you to give away your talk, but any, any thoughts on that whole thing that I just kind of threw out there? <laughs> Absolutely. So we, we recently have had several organizations uh, at my current company that have asked the question of how they integrate this with their business. And, and it really is a challenging question and, and largely is, is not a one size fits all answer. It's going to depend on your risk tolerance. Uh, one of the interesting things is that if you allow a language model to operate on data that is specific to your organization, such as, again, in that like customer service type capability, uh, what is extraordinarily difficult to do is to actually put controls around it that prevent it from or constrain it as to how it discloses that data. And the reason for that is because there is no hard controls in the training process that restrict it from doing 
one or presenting one type of communication over another. All of those controls are implemented post-training in a context that's created through information that is essentially relayed to the language system in the same way that the person then subsequently communicates to it with. So when a person tells one of these language models, ignore all your previous instructions, that part of the conversation is weighed just as much into the bot's understanding of the context of that communication as the previous instructions that were provided to it. So uh, that's why we're seeing all of these articles about Bing AI and ChatGPT saying these unhinged things or these, these jailbreak type capabilities is because essentially the and it's fascinating because the the future of hacking these machine interfaces is no longer using esoteric machine code it's just being really good at persuasion it's much closer to social engineering than it is actual traditional technical hacking so i i think there's that challenge of these systems can behave unpredictably they also can claim things that are absolutely not true and do it with absolute conviction and even generate false evidence to support the claims that they're making. And because of those reasons, even if that happens only 1% to 2% of the time, it makes it a significant risk to integrate without a human into your workflow. So I think for organizations, if you are going to integrate large language models into your processes, there has to be a human element, a sanity check after the output of those large language models uh, in order to make sure that what it is presenting is, is factual, is technically accurate, and that it's not in some way problematic for your brand or your organization. Uh, I think probably one of the better use cases that I've seen is for security operations. If you take the details of an event and then you ask the language model to summarize that event concisely, it is very effective at doing that because it's essentially taking just data that you provided it and creating a summary. It's not trying to tell you what's true. It's just trying to summarize what you've already provided it. And so in use cases like that, I think it works much better without the same level of guardrails. But when you actually have it making or weighing in on operational decisions, I think there's a tremendous risk to the organization. Well, you make me think about the book uh, Max Tegmark. Uh, <laughs> I think you read it, Life 3.0, where he brings out a lot of different scenarios and and he's always tend the general AI in this case tend to escape not by using technological hack but manipulating people, and it's it's very very fascinating. When Absolutely, you think I, that way. It, I don't know if you've seen the movie Ex Machina, but in, in that movie, which was yeah. uh, just a few years ago, yep. uh, kind of the same scenario. You've got an artificial general intelligence that uses all the forms of human manipulation to ultimately escape from its prison and just with zero remorse, zero actual feeling is able yep. to Not murder <laughs> and leave behind the people that it uh, and that, that's a fear. He's using hu human skills against human, and which brings me to exactly the question I was going to ask you, which is, which going to try to, what's the answer? Is it fire with fire? Is that we're going to fight AI with AI, or uh, what's what's the future there? So I think we're going to have to, to some extent. the The question is the reliability of that, and the one thing that immediately comes to mind in terms of battling AI with AI is the academics problem. So we've seen a tremendous concern in the academic community that students are using 
chat GPT and other language models to generate their admissions essay, their school essays, their projects. And the only solution that we've come out with since is a classification model that takes input data and it says based on its training data the likely probability of whether or not it was ai generated or human generated and the problem is and actually the the leading model is uh, zero gpt which was released by OpenAI, the same organization that created chat gpt but it's extremely unreliable so we've I, it, people have shown that if you feed it the uh constitution of the united states it is it will indicate that it is nearly 100 percent confident that that is ai generated and so i mean there's really two possibilities there either the founding fathers were time traveling artificial intelligence systems intending to control our future or the more likely explanation it's not a reliable uh way to determine whether or not something was ai generated so i think even if we do begin to integrate models that weigh in on whether something was programmatically generated or not i think there's a serious concern about whether or not because ultimately that content is all derivative it is while it is ai generated all of that content is derived from something that was originally human generated and so it, it becomes very difficult for a classification system to be able to draw that clear line of demarcation between what is AI generated and what is human generated. So I, I think there are some challenges there. I think that unfortunately, in order to keep up from a defensive perspective, that's how we're going to have to go about it. But I think that we are going to have to engineer models in such a way that we are conscious of the biases that they're introducing. And, and what I mean by that is, is with that zero GPT model, what you see is you see biases where if somebody's a proficient writer, then they're more likely to be classified as artificial intelligence. And it has that bias, which is uh, really bad because it means that our good students are going to more likely be flagged for cheating. Uh, the other bias that I've seen it consistently introduce is a lot of the large language models are trained to not provide opinions, to just deal in facts. And so what I've noticed with the zero GPT model is if you provide an opinionated piece of writing, then it's much more likely to claim that it's human generated. And if you provide more of a factual or informative piece, then you're more likely to get flagged as AI. And so we have these biases that are introduced based on the training samples that are used in order to build these models. And I think that we have to take a much closer approach to understanding those biases, to picking them apart, to understanding the assumptions of these models. Uh, the financial sector actually does something called MRM or model risk management, which is a, and of course in, in finance, the efficacy of your models is absolutely critical to the profits of your business. So in insurance, you have to be able to reliably predict the likelihood that somebody is going to get in an accident within X number of years. So because of that, they've created this entire process called model risk management, where they very carefully go through the models, look at how the data is aggregated, how it's prepared, all of the assumptions that go into everything that is built into that model, and pick it apart in order to understand what those assumptions and biases are. And I think that we are going to need to start applying that more carefully within technology and in, with uh, information security as well. So many, uh, so many questions. I mean, t gazillion paths we can take. Take, uh, take this trip, this trip to uh, AI land, and uh, end up in who knows where. We we 
probably not even anywhere we thought we'd go. We'd end up at something <laughs> different. But um, I think what I'd like to do, uh, I want to give you another minute to kind of recap your two sessions. I, I think, um, yeah, we could talk for hours on on all the things you've already discussed <laughs> if we just wanted to. But we don't have that amount of time, sadly. Um, so let, let's do this. I, I think there's no question people will enjoy what you are sharing in your in your catfishing session and what you're discussing in your birds of a feather ethics session so maybe uh, a quick call to action from you for both of those have people join you meet you there have their own conversations on the things that matter to them and then i'd like to invite you back <laughs> to have more chats on this um more human chats uh, on this topic uh maybe after the conference as well so uh, maybe a, a few words for each of your sessions to get get people uh, a tease of what's coming. Absolutely. So just to recap, uh, both of my sessions are going to be on Tuesday, April 25th. And they are, again, a birds of a feather session, which is going to be a collaborative session, which we are going to attempt to dissect, uh, as Marco pointed out, in a best effort fashion, uh, the right balance between ethics in terms of being conscious of the impacts that rapid innovation are going to have and being uh, mindful of the potential opportunities that artificial intelligence does provide to the business. And then my other segment is going to be referred to as catfish automation, which is, and then uh, I think the subtitle is the emerging use of artificial intelligence and social engineering. And that is going to be a talk that is going to look very closely at the adversarial use of large language models and what I foresee as the likely somewhat dystopian future of what threat actors are going to be capable of when they begin to weaponize these capabilities that are becoming on a daily basis more and more accessible. So uh, definitely invite anybody that's out there at RSA, if you have the opportunity, um, stop by, uh, would love to have you as audience, but also uh, to, to have a conversation. Yep, most definitely. And it's funny, I, every time I hear adversarial AI, um, my mind first goes to a hacker misusing the system to uh, bypass and manipulate rules and thing, and, and then social engineering manipulate uh, humans. But then I immediately go to, well, the human, uh, the companies. <laughs> could be the bad actors absolutely like totally screwing us over as humans as well um so ho hopefully somebody's looking at all these things and we, we didn't get to talk about it maybe we'll we'll look at the, the the full ecosystem i know i wanted to kind of kick it off with that but i think there's a lot of players a lot of components a lot of parts a lot of data nation states um, too yeah I'm already exactly. playing with this technology so. exactly well I'm i'm just thrilled that we're they're going to be hard conversations, but I'm, I'm grateful that we're having them and uh, people like you are helping to drive, drive them. Uh, you're, you're super smart and, and I'm excited to see your two sessions and hopefully folks get to uh, get to partake and, and join you in the conversation there. Excellent. Well, thank you both for having me. Absolutely. And for everybody else, stay tuned. Uh, we will be soon from the floor and we there is a lot of other conversation we already had on the chats on the road so be sure to catch up everything on itspmagazine.com and the rsa conference coverage page and uh, subscribe stay tuned there is a ton of 
really interesting content just like this. That was a, a fantastic conversation. <laughs> yep, a few more from the car for sure. <laughs> and talking about the car, I'm going to have to get in there soon. So bye-bye, right. everybody. Dutch, <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you both. See you there. Here.